Welcome to Meraki Mentors, a podcast featuring women who create. We interview creatives from every field and around the globe to discuss art, risk-taking, and what it means to live a creative life. Here's your host, Candace Howes. Ashley Harris, writer, performer, poet, future doctor. These are just a few descriptions of my friend Ashley, but they only give you a small part of her story. She recently began a book tour in support of her recently published chapbook, If the Hero of Time Was Black, and will read at the University of Virginia this month. The Cupsie alum and accomplished poet shares the tremendous story behind her chapbook, which was written in conversation with the Zelda video game series, the benefit of having a close relationship with your mentors, and why it's never too late to evolve. Let's have a listen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Meraki Mentors. This is Candace Howes, your host, and we have an amazing, talented, my incredible, incredible friend and poet, Ashley Harris, with us today. She's going to talk to us a little bit about um, being a poet and performing, and most importantly, her upcoming chapbook based on the Zelda video game series. So if there's any gamers out there, I know you all are going to be really excited and interested in this. So first and foremost, just thank you so much, Ashley, for being with us today. Thank you. I'll let you start off by um, just telling the audience what you currently do, like where you're from, what you do, and how you first got started writing poetry. Sure. So I'm from Keysville, Virginia. Well, I was born in Farmville, Virginia, but I feel that um, it's complicated. I feel like, you know, I lived in Keysville, Virginia. Um, Me and my mom moved to Manassas, Virginia, and I graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Yeah, (laughs) with a major in chemistry and Hispanic culture and literature with a minor in creative writing because I um, I liked writing Um, and I want to be a doctor. That's still a thing. It's just (laughs) I really learned that everyone is on their own timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I was a major in chemistry and I currently do research um, at Duke. I do a variety of research projects. And of course, I have my first book coming out. It is a chat book, but it's my very first published chat book. You know, in the past, I printed out my chat books, (laughs) but now through Weasel Press um, and with help from Weasel Patterson and M. Rose, who looked at my manuscript and they accepted it, I will now have my book out which is called If the Hero of Time Was Black. And it's it's amazing because <laughs> it's just, it was a concept I never thought, like not to sound self-doubting, but you know, it's, it's really a concept um, like about a video game, but then also trying to intersect um, the black experience, blackness, my own experience into the franchise, which was very, very difficult. So I went to um, undergrad with Ashley and we had like a bunch of poetry classes together and we were both involved in the spoken word community. I was always too scared to slam, but Ashley (laughs) is a great 
spoken word artist. Um, so yeah, so if it seems like we've we've got a little history, we definitely do. Um, she's one of my favorite poets, and I've always admired just how much you like pursued spoken word and just how involved you are with the community. I think that's I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's been interesting for sure. Yeah, I forgot to mention that too, that I started out in, with um, Brave New Voices and I, I represented the Chapel Hill team, um, the Sacrificial Poets. And then I did Cupsy, which is the College Union Slam for two years. I was, um that was like 2014, 2015. So I'm, I remember it was in uh, Colorado and then Richmond, Virginia. But yeah, slamming is um, mm. it's a it's a whole it's a whole different world. It is a whole different world. You got people's egos. People are not even doing poems. They're just they know it's what the crowd likes. Really strange, like gray area that happens sometimes. I feel like it's a difference, the blur between art and then the blur between performing for a crowd, because obviously, like, that's what you're doing. Right. I went to the um, one of the Bull City Slams, uh, gosh, what was it? I want to say, like, last October or something, and I was one of the judges, and that was so nerve-wracking. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did they boo you? <laughs> they didn't. I gave everybody good scores. I was just like, don't boo me. Don't boo me. Yeah. <laughs> And Durham has a incredible spoken word community. Like if you're ever in Durham at any point in your life, um, we've got like monthly slams. And it's just there's so many really talented, just dope poets that are around this area. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Granddad uh, designed. He has his hand on everything, I feel, um, when it comes to spoken word in the triangle. So, you know, like the Durham Chapel Hill. Um, What's the other one? Raleigh area? Yeah. So tell us a little bit. I guess we should start off. Okay. So first we should start off with your love affair with the Zelda Oh, God. Game. I was afraid you were going to say someone's yeah, name. Let's I was just like, get what? started with that. Who told you? <laughs> <laughs> you guys, don't you just love Ashley? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, false alarm. False alarm. <laughs> oh, Lord. Psych, psych on all that. Um, But Zelda, I feel like I started playing Zelda. Well, the first time I started playing was when I used to stay at my cu- my little cousin's house. Her dad got her a Nintendo 64, and I didn't have any game systems because my mom was like, I ain't buying that. But um, when we played Ocarina of Time, I I was like, I really am good at this game. Um, cause I, I don't know. I feel like I had some skill. Like I knew what to do. I knew how to follow the instructions and I love to read the dialogue, but my little cousin didn't really like it. Um, she didn't like the spiders and the Deku tree. And I was like, I would like to get past the Deku tree. Cause that's, that's the very first level. So I was like, mom, please need this game. And, um, my mom just got me any game. It was not the Nintendo 64. It was actually the GameCube. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot about those. Yes. And um, on the GameCube, it came with, um, it, was a, it was like some kind of sale or something. It came with the collector's edition. So the collector's edition has Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and a demo of the Wind Waker. 
And then I think it has Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 on it. And I loved all of them. I could play it forever, like a hundred times and never get sick of it. For anyone who's like not familiar with Zelda, what is like the main premise of the game? <laughs> so it's funny because you like, why would you like a game like Zelda? Because, um, you know, it's, it's such a generic storyline. It's kind of a maybe a misogynist storyline because essentially what you're doing is you're this boy um, and you save the princess every single time. I would say it's pretty much the same except for like Majora's Mask. What I really, really love about the game is I love, I just love swords. I love sword fighting and that's that's a big thing. I like exploration. I like, um, I like the fields that you can run around in the fields, um, especially because sometimes as a child, I didn't always get to go outside. Um, so I would just, I would love to be Link and just be running around outside, even though it wasn't really outside. I feel like that's, that's probably why I ended up running in high school. Cause I always watched Link run and he never got tired. And I was like, I can run like that too. The reason I named my book, if the hero of time was black is because if you look at the Zelda timeline, Ocarina of time is the origin point of all the timelines. So whatever happens to the hero of time affects every timeline. Mm. There's a timeline if the hero of time dies. There's a timeline if the hero of time wins. There's a timeline if the hero of time goes back to the child era because in Ocarina of Time, you go between being a child and an adult. I just love that when you look at the whole timeline, like you said, of how everything is affected by the hero of time, thinking about what that kind of symbolism is for your book and how and yet just the idea that a person or an event or anything could really affect everything that we see today or the way everything is positioned like it's like a scary thought but it's also an interesting thought too yeah and that's kind of what I thought of too like I was like if the hero of time was black I was thinking like of what what that would look like. And I thought about my own life, like, well, all my heroes are dead too. And this sounds so sad. Not all of them, but that's kind of what started it off. Like I was, when when you start playing the Wind Waker, it goes through this really, really nice introduction. There's nice music. It's like orchestrated and it's like kind of tells you the story of everything. And it made me think of, well, um, if you put my story up there, what would it look like? Mm. I didn't want to just write from one point of the timeline, but just like all points of the timeline. What was kind of like your process? Like, obviously, like you said, like you have inspirations and you kind of just start writing. But when you were going back over kind of working on poems, was there anything specific where you were trying to kind of make intentional references or put things in a certain order? Or did you just kind of let it flow? So that's that's a good question. Um, well, I remember I just pitched the idea to Cam one day. I was like, I should just write a whole thing about the Legend of Zelda. And he was like, you should do it. And I was like, well, that was a joke. And he's like, no, you should really do it. And I came up with the idea because I had just, I had, I wrote this when I graduated um, college. I would say a year after I graduated college and things were kind of looking bleak for me. Um, so while I was waiting, you know, to get a job, because 
I was kind of set back with getting a job after college because I, I went abroad for a little bit. That really, really set me back. And then a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of crazy stuff happened um, to the point where I was put in a situation where I was just kind of like, like sitting and waiting and it was so painful. I started watching um, people do playthroughs of all my old favorite Zelda games and I watched him go through it and I was like, man, you know, I see so many themes. So I would just start writing. And then, of course, I would read these books that my um, poetry professor gave me before I graduated. He just I was in his room one day. I was like, yeah, I'm graduating. That was sad. I can do my honors thesis. And he was just like here. And he just pulled down all these books from his shelf. And I was nervous. I was like, you want me to return these? You know, I'm, I'm an out-of-state student. He was like, no, just take them. And he was just pulling out all these random books. And um, so I was just reading all the books that he gave me. And then I think at that time, I had finished my last year of The Watering Hole at that time. So I was reading whatever books I got from there because mm-hmm. they gave us some books. Um, and so I was really reading a lot of Nikki Finney, too, because I just... I really, really like her work. I like how her work can be so long and and yet, you know, it's just so fulfilling. And so I I combined all those things and I forced myself to write something. So at first it was was not um, all together like, and first there's going to be this. No, it was just like, you need to attempt to do this. And I think during that journey, I, I was in Duke Tip. So I was a teaching aide for a creative writing class. And I remember the kids, they found my Savages video. And I was like, oh, my God, no. Um, I had told them that I had been working on something. And they're like, can you read one of your poems? And I read a poem from Ganondorf's perspective. After I gave them a whole little recitation lecture on uh, the Legend of Zelda, and they were all just blinking at me like, she really just gave us a whole lecture on Zelda. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did. After I did that, they were like, you should continue. Like, these little kids were telling me to continue. And I was like, ah, you know what? You're right. And so during all that that weird time period where I had large chunks of time, um, I just, I really dedicated myself to it. I I think Nikki Fenny was there when I graduated from the watering hole. And she said, you know, don't leave the table until you have something written down every day. You know, then I wrote a whole bunch of poems down. I edited them. I remember there's one poem on the in the book called For All the Masks um, Formed. And it's from Majora's Mask. And that poem was, when I first wrote it, it was two pages long. Because I had no idea what to do. I wanted to say all this stuff like, masks. Yeah, we're all wearing masks. And I remember I would just go back and forth between my friends. Um, I had Jay Swiss helping me. He was like, girl, you, what is you doing with these lines? And so I was just going back and forth. And so um, it'll surprise you that some of, there's a variation of length between all of the poems. Some of the poems are really short. Some of them are long. Um, I know that the first poem is the Wind Waker introduction because um, at first, I wanted the Wind Waker introduction to be my own poem, and it was too long, and I sent it to my friend Dustin, and he was like, this is a story. And then I decided, why don't I just do an erasure? 
So I took all the text from the introduction of The Wind Waker and I just took out words, took out words, took out words. Um, and it was very, very difficult because I was left with four lines. Now, once you, uh, once you completed the chat book, um, what was your process from that point in terms of submitting? Like, did you submit it to a lot of different presses or was it kind of just like throwing your hat out there and just, you know, seeing what way to go? I said, (laughs) this is so bad. Don't follow what I did. Okay. I submitted it to um, two presses. And they both said no. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just try again later. And then I remember one of the people that helped me edit the book or the manuscript at the time was M, who um, is a part of um, the Weasel Press. She's a part of Weasel Press. And she was like, I love this. I'm going to send it to my editor. And she, I was like, really? So I got lucky in a sense that the editor was like, this is, this is fire. But if I were to give anyone advice, I would apply to more than just the two. I think when I finished the manuscript, Mm -hmm. it was past a lot of deadlines. I talked to a lot of my friends who I think are really, really talented. And they're like, I'm not ready to release a work of art like that yet. And I'm like, well, here I go. (laughs) Um, When I I came back home from college, I I worked at a processing plant. It was... uh, Corning and they made uh, they made glassware and chemical uh, type equipment and it was like right down the street from my house but it was terrible so I quit I quit and I joined Duke Tip and my mom was very mad at me and everyone was very mad at me because it was only a three-month program but I was like I'm gonna do it and that's when I met M and yeah, she really was, the, I feel like she was the key person who got this manuscript pushed to Weasel Press. So I'm I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful I took the risk, even though that was scary. Because it's like, girl, you don't have no money. Sometimes you got to take risks. And then it's like, I'm young right now, you know. I would also say just get yourself out there. there and, and also just make connections, because I just learned of maybe a few weeks ago of a lot of small presses that are publishing people's work, not just those big ones that are more likely, you know, to say no because they want something. I don't know what they're looking for. Um, So, you know, just as long as you get your stuff out there, you know, and there's nothing wrong with starting off small and self-publishing. That's what I did when I first started. I think you have to take those risks and start you know, like you said, wherever you can. Like I know, even when I did like my chat book, I tried to start submitting. And this is honest; I wouldn't um, suggest anyone follow this either. <laughs> but I basically just got a little. I don't know. I guess I got kind of fatigued with the whole process. And my main thing was like when submitting to presses and always having to wait to find out if they rejected you or not. And I just felt like I don't have time to wait. So I just like printed it. But I think that having patience is important. Um, oh my God. Like, did you see what Gabby wrote about um, being in the New Yorker? No. Gabby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Ashley and I had a poetry professor who is quite honestly like my favorite person in the world. Yes. And I'll call her Gabby. 
Yes, Kawa Karesi. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. She is an awesome, amazing poet. Um, But yeah, she posted. I have it sitting in front of me, actually. It's the July 23rd issue of The New Yorker. So she has a um a poem in the new yorker and so she posted a picture of it and she said on facebook that this is 20 years coming because it's been 20 years since that she's been submitting to the new yorker and anyone who's like ever read her poetry like she's already published books everybody knows like abby is super super talented i saw that and it just kind of like it made me feel better about the whole process of waiting and being rejected right it's like if someone this good like it took this long for this like amazing thing to happen and it's like you just gotta keep grinding it out so true so so true and I feel like that's gonna be life like with med school for me and then I also wanna I wanna be a part of Kaveh Kanem yes um, and I know that I know how hard that is um (laughs) yeah I know that's 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 life goals right there (laughs) yeah like there's a lot of poets I love and I look up to like uh Gia Shakur um who lives in Harlem Mm -hmm. I think her writing is so good it's so good I'll be reading I'm like oh my god um, but then, like, you find out, oh, she didn't get into Kaveh Khan. I'm like, what What are they looking for? What do we want? <laughs> but you're right. Rejection. Oh, my God. You know what Gabby used to tell us? She used to tell us. What? Every, for every rejection, you should apply to something else. She did say that. It's like, she, she, she was, like, down to the tea. Like, even if this guy does not... Like, even if he rejects you and he tells you that he don't like you, which I have had my fair share, okay? I was told, <laughs> if I'm rejecting anything in life, I need to apply that energy somewhere else. <laughs> That's true. You're right. I totally forgot that she said that. And it's such a positive way to direct your energy when something bad happens, basically. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's perfect and it keeps you productive because I'm really big on on energies and vibrations mm-hmm. and and you'll see like in my book ancestors are a huge thing and that is that's also a huge thing I found in Zelda the emphasis of ancestors I don't think a lot of people realize it or catch it mm-hmm. but you know Link gets a lot of his power from the people who came before him and I always think that that's really important. But if you yeah. keep if you keep putting out your seeds everywhere, something is going to give. Someone will say yes, and it only takes one yes. How okay? So your book tour, how did that come about? Like, did you go up to people and just say like, "Yo, I got a chapbook. You got to hear this." Like, what happened? Well, I was like, I was like, oh my God, I have to go on tour. I have to, because there's, I can't sit in my apartment and be like, all right, I hope y'all buy it. I was like, I gotta get out there. You know, I gotta get to know the community. And I think this time it's interesting because now I have a published piece of work. So now I'm, I'm, um, contacting libraries and stuff like that, but it's very scary. I, um, I'm glad I have a lot of mentors in poetry. Because I, I I sure did go to all of them and said I I don't know what I'm doing you know and then <laughs> you know uh, being a poet I mean I felt like I took a little break after college um, from spoken from slam 
uh, just because I know when I was slamming in D.C., I, oh, I got beat every day, every time I was beaten, every time. I was just not doing well. I was not doing well. And I feel like it was because my spirit was not there. Like it was after college and I was kind of sad because I was like, I'm not where I want to be. Going out there, you know, I, I got to see people like Pages and stuff like that. So when it's time for me to tour, I just be like, Pages, you got to help me. Kamisha, you have to help me from that area. Um, <laughs> Angie, do you know anyone? You know, just asking around for all the people that I know, because they know I'm talented and, and they all understand that slams are subjective. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. And it does not at all, it does not at all price your value. And I'm actually so glad that when I lived back at home, that I got slaughtered in those slams because it really taught me um, that I needed to push myself because I think I stopped pushing myself too. Like there was a period of time where I stopped writing. I was just using the same old, same old. And it's like, that's not going to work. You have to, you have to grow. But someone said to me like, oh, um, are these just, is this just a book of spoken word poems? It's not, it's not a book of spoken word poems. And then it also made me think like, what does that mean? Like, what are, what are spoken word poems? Like, you mean like performance pieces? Because I always make sure that at least some of them can exist in both worlds. By making a book, they're definitely going to exist on the page first, you know? <laughs> yeah, people, I under, yes, I understand that there is a difference in performance poetry, but sometimes people do make it seem like it's different or like performance is less, like you can't appreciate it reading it right. on paper. And it's like, bruh, I read this on paper to perform it. Right. And it's like some some of the, during that period when I was living at home, I noticed like some of the slams, no shades anyone, but they were more like monologues. Like I remember I was at the slam in Richmond mm-hmm. and once again, no shade to this lady, but this lady went up there and she was like, my husband, bro, he was cheating on me with two women and I went home and it was a whole story. It was not a poem. It was a story. And she won. And I was like, <laughs> I was just, yes. No. Yes. And then like some slams, you'll go to them and it's like, if you mention God, if you mention prayer, Jesus being saved, if you jump up and down a little bit, you'll get a 10. They were like, do you write for slam? I was like, no, I just write. I don't do that. But I just write. And then if I look at it and it's like, this could be performed, it can be performed. If it can't, it can't. It's also like slam has has given a lot of poets of color the opportunity to exist in academic spaces. I think about Denez Smith. Denez is talented. I love Denez. I'm a groovy for sure, but I just hate, you know, mm-hmm. that sometimes slam is just mistaken as performance. Do you plan to still continue like writing or performing? Like, are you going to do rounds and give people poems? Like, what's how is that going to intersect? <laughs> Yo, I was just joking with this poet, Len, um, Len Lawson from South Carolina. He was like, are you going to be a slam doctor? Like, are you going to be at the poetry slams? And if someone starts like choking on something while they're doing their poem, you're going to run up there and be like, no, like they watch. <laughs> I mean, that would be cool, you know? <laughs> you know, um, a lot of poets tell me, Ash, you know, 
you know, don't worry about slam. It's always going to be here. It's always going to be here. And poetry is always going to be here. So I think, I think when I start med school, I'll probably play it by ear. Um, I'll see if I can handle slam. I mean, slam is only once a month in most places. Um, but I definitely want to still submit stuff when I'm in, in school. And I would like to just keep writing books. Like I would love to write a book about, you know, how I get to med school and then med school and then being a doctor, like just, and just seeing how my work grows and progresses over time. And of course, I want to be a Kaveh Kahnem fellow. I'm not some engineer poets, but it's like, we're the doctor, we're the MD. I'm not talking about the PhD. I love y'all PhDs, but we're the MD. You know, in the past, my stuff was pretty generic, but now I'm finding my own flow. I'm writing a lot more about science and of course, I heard about Zelda, but science, everything I'm learning, you know, about the body, mm-hmm. trying to make it digestible for people who don't know about that stuff. Okay, so we have our May Rocky picks. Our fun wrap-up game, in a sense. So, first of all, because we all love to eat, what is a restaurant you think everyone should go to? Oh, my God. Um, Swally's. Swally's, Swally's. I think that's what I think that's what they're called. I just ate there a week ago. It's in Durham. Ooh. Uh huh. It's um. It's like um Zimbabwe type food. They have vegetarian options, which I'm a vegetarian right now. I don't know how long I'm gonna stay a vegetarian, but that's the moves right now. And I just I, I like their food, and they put spices in their food, which is really important to me. I don't like stuff that's generic. Okay, what is a song? And if it's if you don't have like one song, it could be like an artist. But what's a song that's like stuck in your head that you can't stop listening to? Oh my god! If you if you <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, you know it's that girl Chun Li. It's that girl Chun Li. I love. Oh yeah, Chun Li. <laughs> I know everybody's mad at Nicki Minaj right now because she hasn't been making the best decisions. But I love Chun Li. I wrote a poem that's not in the book unfortunately but uh, maybe it'll be in a future book it's a poem that was based on a painting um by the same painter who uh did michelle obama's and uh you know barack obama's paintings it, it was, it's like this woman and she cut this uh this white lady's head off so i wrote a poem to that while looking at that painting and listening to chun lee I like the energy. Like she's like, you're putting me out to be the bad guy. And I think about my existence as a black woman. It, it just seems like I'm always the bad guy. Like if I say something, people are always gonna be like, oh, she just jealous. She just mad. She just bitter. She's just dumb. You know, like. And so every time I listen to Chun Li, I really feel that like sometimes they just really don't want you to succeed out here just because of who you are. All right. So this is like kind of the hardest one, which is why I always save it for last, but it's a fun one. And do you have like a quote or a piece of advice or something that you live by? Oh my God. It's like Jesus and Mara when they're like, what do you want your rainbow to say? Um, (laughs) Shoot. You know, I would say, oh gosh, that's hard. I'm glad to I'm glad to quote my girl Zora Neale Hurston. If you're silent about your pain, 
they'll kill you and say that you enjoyed it. I really feel that so much, you know? And I really feel like you should listen to yourself, really listen to yourself. Because sometimes in life, you're like, I have to be here. I have to do this. And it's so hard to reimagine yourself doing what you want to do and being the person that you want to be. Whew, I feel like I'm going through that right now. It's hard because I'm like, I'm really bad at being complacent. And I'm really bad at doing the same old, same old. And I'm like, of course not, because I, I'm, an, I'm a creator. I have to create. I can't be sitting in the office all day. And when I become a doctor, I'm not going to be sitting in no office all day. I'm going to be on my feet because that's the type of person I am. I'm on my feet and mm-hmm. I want to I wanna create and I want to I wanna just innovate. That's what I want to do. And so sometimes you have to take steps towards that that are not always comfortable. And I don't think it, it matters what age you are. My grandma, who passed away a few months ago, like, you know, I know... That's what she would have wanted. And I think for so long in her life, she she did what everyone wanted her to do. And then finally, she did what she wanted to do. She's like, I ain't washing my dishes. And we were like, Granny. And she was like, you know, I just don't want to do that. You always have to evolve so you can get your story out there. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow Ashley on Instagram at Ashley Allen Poe. A-S-H-L-E-Y-A-L-A-N-P-O-E. And on Twitter at Alchemist Negra, A-L-C-H-E-M-I-S-T-N-E-G-R-A. You can also check out Ashley's website, as well as links to order her book, If the Hero of Time Was Black, on our website. You've been listening to Meraki Mentors Podcast with Candace Howes. We're honored you chose to spend your time with us today. To learn more about today's guest or the podcast, visit MerakiMentorsPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to rate or review us on iTunes, Facebook, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to create and connect.